Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. We're going through a global pandemic right now that people are experiencing on very different levels and in very different ways. And I, one of the things that I'm keenly aware of is, uh, you know, adversity introduces you to yourself. It really does. And I don't think, you know, obviously it's not going to go away anytime soon, whether it's global pandemic or otherwise, we are all going to take the proverbial cement block to the face at some point in our life. And if you haven't right now, good for you, good for you, but it's coming. And if you haven't, then somebody adjacent to you that you know has or is going through it right now. And building in resiliency within ourselves and within our teams, it's one of the greatest gifts we can give as well as one of the greatest predictors of long-term success and happiness. So how you respond, the skills that you have when the stuff hits the fan is going to determine whether you survive and thrive or you let circumstances destroy you. How you day, how you day, and happy new year. This is the first episode of the year. That was the voice of Carrie Lorenz. And as is customary with new years and new traditions and new habits, this episode is centered around working through resilience, honing in on your skill sets, building in on your zone of genius, and understanding how to set the boundaries necessary for the world that we live in today. I feel like a lot of us rediscovered ourselves last year. A lot of us found out new parts of ourselves and a lot of us faced parts that we've hidden from others and from ourselves. Again, a lot of ourselves in this conversation. The whole point is awareness is the first step for change. But what comes with awareness in order to get to that change is action. And so my hope is that as you listen to Carrie's amazing story and she's a pioneer in her field, you start thinking about ways you can be pioneers in your field and make this year your best year. Hope you enjoyed the episode. As always, please leave reviews on any of the podcast networks. You know, the reviews help. They help with the algorithms, the, the, the comments, the, you know, the five stars and everything. It helps the podcast get to be seen. And we want to make sure that this is the best year of downloads this year so if you like the episode please share with your friends please leave comments and review thank you so much 
and enjoy the episode. Welcome everybody to another episode of As Told by Nomads and today's guest is Carrie Lorenz. Now who's Carrie? Carrie is the first female F-14 Tomcat fighter pilot in the U.S. Navy. She's a highly sought after business consultant and leadership speaker who challenges and motivates leaders of high profile companies to move fearlessly and increase in levels of performance. We're going to be diving into so many aspects of her careers. Uh, I say careers because she's done so many different things. But the first thing that I want to do is welcome her to the show. Welcome, Carrie. Hey, glad to be here. Thanks for having me today. The pleasure is mine. Now, some people might be might have heard what I just said. You know, first female F-14 Tomcat fighter pilot. And then the first question they'll ask is, what is a Tomcat fighter pilot? What would you say to that? <laughs> <laughs> well, for reference, uh, it is the the F-14 Tomcat is actually the airplane that was featured in the movie Top Gun. So I know there are probably some people listening right now that have not seen that movie, uh, which I would admonish you to do so as soon as you can, because it's actually pretty good. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a super, it was one of the world's premier fighter jets, uh, can travel at about twice the speed of sound. And I will throw down and say that I still believe it is the best looking airplane on the market. Wow. Wow. I know. <laughs> but I know. That'll be up for debate for some people, I'm sure. But it's just, I, I hold fast to that. It's a good looking fast airplane. So. Yeah, absolutely. But you were the first female F-14 Tomcat fighter pilot. I'm just curious, what was it like for you as you were getting into that field? Because if you were the first, you had to have known that there weren't many people that look like you initially. So what made you even consider that a career? Well, that's a, that's a great question. So I actually come from a family uh, of a lot of family members who have served across all different services. And my dad was a pilot for the United States Marine Corps. So I have an older brother and we grew up obviously, well, maybe not obviously, but surrounded by aviation and this idea of service and putting, uh, you know, investing in your country and, and doing something outside of yourself. So although my dad didn't necessarily encourage me to go down that path, it was just something that was part of my life. And what was fascinating about that is that although I always was interested in becoming a pilot, I didn't see anybody who really looked like me. And because of where I grew up, I grew up in the Midwest and about an hour and a half south of my home is one of the world's biggest air shows. So bear with me on this because, because I, I actually have a point. <laughs> and every, every year, every summer, my dad's friends would come in and some of them would stay with us and, and they would start telling these great stories of, you know, daring feats of bravery or craziness or courage. And we would go down to this air show. And just on occasion, I would see some female pilots. And there was one time I was introduced to one uh, woman who was uh, quite a bit older than me, but I found out that she was a WASP and that is a women air force service pilot. So historically what we as a country have collectively forgotten is that the WASPs were actually some of the first women to fly for the military 
during World War II for the, in the U.S. And yet they were never officially recognized uh, just until about a decade ago as part of that big effort. And they, there were, I think, and I don't want to go down too big of a rabbit trail here, but they, when the program opened up, it drew over 25,000 applicants uh, and only a thousand of those, about 1,800, I think, were accepted. And just over a thousand of those women went on to uh, earn their wings and they flew over two million hours, two million flight hours during World War II. They ferried every single type of aircraft. They did training. They did everything that allowed the men to go over and fly in theater. Now, what's fascinating about that and where it weaves back to my path and my journey is that when, when World War II came to an end, those women were essentially told to go home, don't speak of your experience again, go be good wives and mothers. Thank you very little. Mm. So when I started going into aviation and when I discovered that there was pushback or that there was this whole political discussion about why women were not allowed to fly in combat, it didn't make any sense to me because I'm like, did y'all forget that women flew over 2 million hours in the forties? Like, have, have we forgotten that? And the, the answer to that would be yes, we did forget that. So in, in my mind, going for this, you know, going for this dream, trying to, trying to go to the, you know, the top of the top was not about trying to be one of the first because you have no control over that. I just wanted to fly. And I came from a family where you just, you served, you did the work, you didn't, it didn't matter if you were a, a man or a woman, male or female, boy or girl or whatever. And my perception had always been the jet doesn't know the difference. What's the big deal? Like, how can this even be political? I, I, I didn't understand it. So that's kind of where my, my mindset was that, you know, I, I was exposed to it. I knew I always wanted to be a pilot and I didn't understand what the big deal was. Now, clearly with a few years under my belt, uh, I have a, a slightly different perspective on that. Uh, not, not different than though. I am very clear that I stand on the shoulders of the women who came before me, 100%. So yes, I was the first one to fly a super cool platform, but had those women not been brave enough, did not have enough courage uh, to step forward and fly 2 million hours in the 40s, I would have never thought it would have been possible. I, I love stories like that. So my job, I run a diversity, equity, and inclusion firm. And I work with companies in the global, you know, level, different, mm -hmm. different raw laws, different rules, different protocols. And this concept, you know, me as a black man who's been black in four continents, but also the other ideas of including people in different stories, it comes down to a lot of what you were just highlighted there. And for those who are wondering what she meant by WASP, WASP is, uh, you know, Women Air Force Service Pilots, right? Right. That's what the acronym is. And it's, a lot of times as, as times progress, we sometimes forget how to humanize <laughs> people that, that we haven't even considered, uh, I guess, um, competent. Or we, we, we associate them with competence on, on certain levels in times of need. And then when we get back to our normal day-to-day, -day, we sort of forget the contributions that they've had. 
a lot of times, maybe as societies. What? No, 100%. 100% you're correct. And obviously, this is your, uh, you know, this is your professional line of work. Part of the challenge in that, um, as, as you know, but maybe some of your listeners aren't aware of is that the challenges for whatever minority group it may be, whether that's uh, ethnicity, uh, geographic orientation, whatever that may be, until you hit a critical mass, which is, you know, 21, 20 to 24% ish, until you hit a, a critical mass of that minority group, you're always going to be referred to as a minority. And within that are challenges, as you know. Uh, different biases, you know, and you know, the challenge of biases is, is that we all have them and they're blind spots. <laughs> and you think you don't have them. That's why it's called a blind spot, right? And so when when you're one of few or you're an only or you're under that 21 to 23, 24% group, you carry the weight or the load of representing your kind, your type, your, your biased, perceived biased way of thinking. So it can be very challenging for people because you, you internalize all that. And then you, at what you end up seeing is people end up, uh, just becoming exhausted by it because you can't be representative of everybody. And when people think, well, did you ever feel like you had to be better than, than everybody else? Well, yeah. Absolutely. And it's not just that I, fe- <laughs> and it's not just that I felt that it's that you did. So you, you have to weigh or, or understand whether you want to believe it to be true or not, <clears throat> that, that you have to be both competent. You have to find the confidence to persevere. And at some point, and my, my hope for anybody listening to this, wherever you fall on whatever spectrum it may be, is that with that competence and with that confidence that you don't fly under the radar, that you don't play small. Because I think that what I know I experienced and what I see a lot of people to this day still experiencing going through and behaving as if that that they believe that if they de-risk everything if i can only be perfect if i you know i have to get that college degree i have to get my mba i have to be working towards a you know phd i have to get all these different letters behind my name because then somehow someone won't see my femaleness, or they won't see my blackness, or they won't see whatever my ness is that somehow makes me different. And yet, while you're doing that, while you're trying to de-risk, while you're playing small until you think you're perfect enough to not be criticized or looked at as other, you're, you're, nobody's benefiting from your experience. You are losing your voice. Uh, and you're losing all of your agency. Yeah. yeah. And that's tough. And that's brutal. And, and I'm not saying that that means that you can't just wing it and go, well, I'm going to behave like everybody else. Because you know what? Until you hit, again, 
past that critical number, that critical mass, you are going to be a female engineer. You are going to be a, uh, you know, African-American accountant. And that's unfortunate, but it also is what it is right now. And the quicker you understand those boxes or those rules or the way things are navigated and negotiated, then you can, then you can focus on what you can control. But if you try to say, well, that doesn't apply to me, that's going to be really hard. It's very interesting. And, and you I, to even go on this point. You talk about this. You say the inability of facing adversity is proven to be a widespread uh, you know, problem in people's work and home lives. And you were, you were touching on that there. And mm-hmm. this leads me to this question then. And it's one that's it's in, included in a lot of the, the interviews you do, but is how do you then use adversity to regain focus in order to become more fearless? I think fearless leaders, you're favorite thing to say, but mm-hmm. how do you translate those things? Yeah. So, so let me, let me give a little context about something. When I use the phrase fearless leadership, and I mean, I wrote a book about it uh, with that title. I do not mean that you are not going to feel fear. It means that you are going to feel it. You're going to feel that hair on the back of your neck, stand up that lump in your throat, maybe a little bit of verp coming up the back of your throat, the pit in your stomach. And you are going to choose to move forward anyway. So it doesn't mean that you're going out and you're taking bad risks or you're like, hey, screw it. You know, I'm just going for it. And oh, I'm feeling uncomfortable. So that means I should stop. No, it's acknowledging the vulnerability. It's doing the risk management, the, you know, taking in all the information you can and still going forward, making the best decisions that you can. Now, resiliency, however, and and right now, Obviously, wherever you know your global audience may be listening from, we're going through a global pandemic right now that people are experiencing on very different levels and in very different ways. And I, one of the things that I'm keenly aware of is, uh, you know, adversity introduces you to yourself. It really does. And I don't think, you know, obviously it's not going to go away anytime soon. Whether it's global pandemic or otherwise, we are all going to take the proverbial cement block to the face at some point in our life. And if you haven't right now, good for you. Good for you. But it's coming. And if you haven't, then somebody adjacent to you that you know has or is going through it right now. And building in resiliency within ourselves and within our teams It's one of the greatest gifts we can give, as well as one of the greatest predictors of long-term success and happiness. So how you respond, the skills that you have when the stuff hits the fan is going to determine whether you survive and thrive or you let circumstances destroy you. And that is a skill set. Some people naturally might be a little more resilient than others. But it is a skill set, and it's one that with conversation and acknowledgement that bad things are going to happen to people, That, and we cannot expect that just because I've done X, Y, and Z, now I've I've made myself impervious to anything bad happening. It's, It's simply not true. Life is not fair. Bad stuff happens. So how we deal with it 
is going to determine again, whether we can get to the other side or get through whatever it is, whatever tragedy has befallen us actually stronger than or better than had that adversity not happened to us. And that's tricky because when you're in the middle of it, when you feel like you're drowning, when you feel like there's no way out, no path forward, no way through, having somebody say to you, I promise you with time and space and reflection, this can make you stronger. Feels like BS. It feels like BS. It's not, it doesn't feel like that's ever going to happen. And yet it can be if you know or you've been exposed to some of the steps that get you get you to the other side. As a real quick aside, one of the one of the things, and and it was almost going to be when this book released, I thought it was going to be what I was going to write my next book about is this idea of uh, where we've missed, where we, where I think we've missed the mark, uh, not only in the U.S., but even globally, mm. is the conversation has become um, more common about PTSD, where generally speaking, if you're going to do a presentation or, or you're in a group or, or you know a group setting or you throw out a poll, the majority of people had, have heard of PTSD. And they, they know or they think they know it's bad. And even for us in the military, the way we designate people who have, have had that or are struggling with it, we give them that category and then, you know, whatever the VA or the medical system deals with it in different ways and they move on. But we're missing an entire piece of this because there's a whole second half to PTSD uh, and this is why even just talking about adversity matters. And it's called PTG or post-traumatic stress growth. And that for the majority of people, unless it is an actual physical traumatic brain injury, and I'm not a neurosurgeon, you know, so don't, this is not medical advice. However, for, for the majority of people, once you've had a traumatic event happen, if you have the skill set to move through it, most people within about nine to 18 months actually should be on the other side of it where they can reflect and they can look at it and they should be stronger because of that. But we don't talk about that. We, we use the, the phrase and the diagnosis of PTSD, meaning you're broken and you have it and you will forever remain broken. And that's simply not true. And I believe that what we're doing about this and, and or what, what is happening by us ascribing that diagnosis without the expectation of post-traumatic stress growth or PTG is that we're leaving people in that broken state. And when you do that, they lose hope and they don't realize that it's okay if your teeth are going to chatter, you know, every six months, or if somebody brings it up, whatever incident it is, or, or you're going to have a nightmare post-traumatic stress growth or, or that growth piece doesn't mean you're never going to think about it again. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have night sweats or these other physical reactions. It just means you can compartmentalize it a little bit better and you can move forward and, and maybe even with some more empathy. So I didn't mean to go down a whole path on that, but it's a huge piece of adversity in building resiliency within ourselves and our teams that if we don't talk about that other piece that almost nobody talks about, we are left feeling broken. 
And that is such a huge loss. It's a huge loss on an individual level, on a community level, on a workforce level, on a human level. Yeah, I can see that for sure. Yeah. So, no, but I I, I love a lot of the things that you talk about because you you really are hitting that, that, you know, the emotion, the core of why we feel the way we feel and what we've been conditioned to do and to feel. Sometimes, we haven't been trained to handle the emotions that many of us feel. And one of those emotions is fear, as you've said. And the, and the other thing is when you're looking at the statistics that the, they were shared, I believe it's about 10 to 30% of the people will manage adversity, but only rarely 5% of the time do actually mm-hmm. harness and leverage that. So adversity is something that is being experienced currently right now on a global level, as you highlighted before. But many people haven't been prepared for the leveraging aspect of it. So everything you're saying, I, I think it is important, but I think a lot of people are also now seeking a starting point. And a lot of times the starting point starts from ourselves, you know, that we look in the mirror. I, I call the, global, the, the pandemic a mirror as well, a mirror for our systems and a mirror for us individually. individually. But your approach, you have several steps to leading yourself through adversity. And I thought they were very interesting while I was doing research on you. But I'd be curious to see if you could share with the audience some of these steps so that some people can at least know where to start from and you know craft a plan for themselves. Okay. That's that's a great question. So I'll I'll step through it kind of slowly uh, and then I'll repeat it. And then I'll give you a way to take action. Okay. So there are like two lists. So if somebody's driving or you're riding a bike or whatever, come like like screenshot the time in this podcast so you can come back to it. Because from a resiliency perspective, I've identified seven seven fundamental steps. The first one is that we have to reject victimhood. Uh, You know, we're all going to deal with some type of loss or tragedy in our lives. We're not alone. And yet we can get mired in feeling, feeling like it's always going to be this way. So the first step in developing resilience is to reject that that victimhood. Realize we're all going to run into challenges. We're all going to feel like we're drowning at some point. It's not just you. So you have to reject victimhood. The second step, and this is the hard step right now for people, is embrace the change. And I don't mean this in a soft, fluffy, you know, hey, it's change. Everybody goes through change. One of the things that we used to always say in the Navy, which is pretty aggressive, but it's embrace the suck, right? Yeah. It, it's going to suck. This, <laughs> And I'm sorry for some people that language might be a little bit aggressive, but we can't drop anchor on it. So it's funny because I just, I've been writing something just the last couple of weeks and, and I've added to that embrace the suck comma. Yes. And right. Yes, this has happened. And so, so when, when I say embrace change, I want you to think, don't, don't drop anchor on the bad stuff. Go. Yes. And yes, this is happening. And dot, dot, dot. And those are going to be the next steps. So the third thing is going to be focus on what matters, right? We have to we have to break it down and figure out what we can focus on. That's the most important thing for us. Step four would be find a wingman. We all have to have emotional support right now. Uh, for a lot of us, things are again 
locking down. So we're, we're being thrown back into isolation. And for quite a, quite a number of people, a large percentage of people, that isolation uh, is, is shattering. It, our demons come out. We feel like we're going to be left, left out, forgotten. Uh, so we need to find a way to stay connected, whether that's via FaceTime, text, I'd really advocate for stopping scrolling social media because that actually feeds those monsters, but find your people and don't be afraid to ask for help and then figure out what you can control because we want to be able to learn from adversity. We want to be able to move forward by asking, you know, what happened? How can I turn this around? And is there any good that can come of this? And then take action. So figure out what those lessons learned are. Do anything specific that for you can lead to a more positive outcome. For some of you right now listening, getting out of bed might be the thing. Getting your body moving might be the thing to change your state. Get a little bit sweaty. Feel like you have a shot. But take action. So that leads to a frame or, or uh, it's been my mantra for years. It's actually what my second book is going to be about. You alluded to it a little bit earlier. This I- Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Idea of span of control. Yeah that we have to, and I, I even got the, a tattoo uh, a couple of years ago. That's just three little initials on the inside of my wrist. So that when I put my hand out, my arm out, I see it to just even remind myself to ground myself, focus on your span of control that in order to even solve for the chaos or make any of our dreams or our commitments happen in order to succeed when the, when the pressure's on or when adversity has befallen us, we have to figure out what we can control and what we can't. So here's the easier part. I want you to think about three things. The first thing I always do, and, and I use post-it notes and I go, I go analog really, really quickly. When I'm overwhelmed, I use pen, paper, post-it notes, and Sharpie markers, right? Because I want to see it tactile in front of me. I don't want it hidden. I don't want some color-coded Google spreadsheet, no offense to spreadsheet people, but, but tactile in front of you just makes it easier on your brain. So I write down my top three most important things I need to focus on. So whether, you know, whether that's buckets of family, fitness, and finances, 
um, whatever those three specific things may be for you at the beginning of every day before you open up any electronic device or listen to the news or do anything, write down your top three most important things. The second thing is I call it chart your flight plan for success. Write down a couple of specific actions you can take to help you focus on those top three things. And then the third thing is communicate your plan. Tell a family member, tell a friend, tell somebody what your plan is so they can offer you support. And if you can do those three things, if you can ID your top three things, write down a couple of steps that can help you get there and then communicate that to your team, to your family, to your friends, your chances of not focusing on the negative and taking action and moving forward are greatly increased. So it's just, it's span of control. I say it to myself, my kids even say it. If I'm you know complaining about something or frustrated by whatever bit of craziness I've seen, you know, prattle down through Twitter, they're like, <laughs> oh, span of control, mom. And I'm like, yep. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. So it's, it's a, it, and part of, you know, part of this is we, we have to have, and I know you've talked to a lot of high performers, the people who are able to work in, in high capacity, high risk, fast moving environments, all to a person have mental frameworks that allow them to make better decisions very quickly. Yes. And if you don't, your brain is in hyperdrive all the time. You have no filter mechanism. So span of control for me, that mantra allows me to very quickly then go back to, and without even almost cognitively doing it, those frameworks that allowed me to be successful in the past. So when people are looking for a life hack or a quick thing know that the span of control mantra and peace is, is based on research. It's based on science. It's based on high performing experience. And if you leverage it, it will work and it will bring you actually some mental peace <laughs> because it slows your brain down. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. It slows your brain down. Yeah. I, I love, Terry, <laughs> you're saying so many things that I love here. The first thing that I want to pick up on is the yes and thing. And when I was writing my mm. book, yeah, when I was writing my book, I, I I talked about that. I said a lot of idea of yes and versus no, but uh, is is a key concept, and it's a key concept in improv. If anybody is listening, follows improv, but we've had a few improv, uh, you know, uh, masters uh, or you know on the show. But that idea is accepting and building upon something, not necessarily mm -hmm. you know affirming something, but also just understanding how to open dialogue with that way. But the opening dialogue can also be with yourself and with the concept and with possibilities. And when you figure out or you put yourself in a position where it's like, yes, Andy, like, okay, well, what else? You know, how do yes. I do it? Yeah. Yes. Okay. This is what's happening. I accept it is, but it doesn't mean that I am this, right? <laughs> you know, uh, and I've been fired twice, for example, like, all right, I, I got fired now, but that doesn't mean I'm a personal failure. What is the next option, right? Or what is the next thing I can do for me? Or what can I learn from that? That's a key concept. And I love your span of control thing too. It, it's, <laughs> you know, as humans, we, we do feel threatened when we lose control or when we feel like things are out of our control. And it, it causes us to do maybe things we never thought we would do to, 
built-ins we not we never thought we would feel. And if you haven't filled your cup, to a lot of your point there, if you haven't really created that mental framework for you to figure out how to handle these situations, it becomes really, really tough. You know, when there's no end in sight for some people, you know, the pan- we've been in a global pandemic for almost a year, for example. I know, I know. And it's, you know, so much of this, so much of this can be predicated on as well, who were your, uh, who, who raised you? Who yeah. are the people around you right now? What was acceptable? Because I, I can tell you one thing that, that I find surprising, um, just even in the last several years, I, Obviously, anybody who's familiar with with the U.S. military, there there's an element, for the most part, that one of the hallmarks is we maintain our military bearing. We don't shout in anger. We don't, you know, just spout off indiscriminately. We maintain our our military bearing, and I think that's a big thing with with fighter pilots, um, that you'll, you know, when people have run into them, yes. Are they generally known as being pretty confident? Yes. Sometimes cocky. Yep. Unfortunately, but generally speaking, always very cool headed because you will never make a good decision in the heat of anger. So, or when you are starting to wind up to a position of being over emotional, now that doesn't mean we don't feel things. It doesn't mean we not, we might not be raging on the inside, but we're able to set that aside. And again, yes. And right. Or, okay. That being, it is what it is. How do we move forward? So we always have to be looking at a place of, I think even right now, where 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 again, almost globally, there is polarization happening, yeah, and and how people believe we should be moving forward. When you start leveraging or you start layering a ton of emotion or or blame, and there's plenty to go around, people get defensive. And as soon as you get defensive or as soon as you're screaming, you've lost the ability to have a good conversation and solve problems. Sure. You just have. I mean, even within from a parenting style in with the way I've, I've, we have, my husband and I have raised our kids is right out of the get go when I remember when our oldest was, was quite young and she was stomping off in a fit about something. And I could tell, I saw her about to close her door really hard. <laughs> I <laughs> e slam it. And I just raised my eyebrows and I put my finger up and I said, I'm just going to tell you right now, if you slam that door, it's going to come off its hinges. I will take your door. So you have a choice to make. <laughs> you can close your door and be mad, or you can slam it and you're not going to have a door. It's up to you. I love this. Never have any of my kids slammed a door because it's about, Hey, it's okay to be angry. It's okay to be upset, but you don't get to be a jack wagon because you're angry or upset. <laughs> that That's not okay. And, and there are reasons for a, it's a lack of civility and, and B what I've seen is that when people are striking out in anger and it might be because they're afraid, they're feeling vulnerable, they're feeling attacked or, or, or it's simply rage. You will not make a good decision. You can't, you can't when you are surrounded by that. So having the words, having the, the, the dialogue so that you're not bringing baggage of what might be decades 
of experience of how you deal with something, we have to give people precise language so that we can all get to a place more valuable than where we are today without fracturing, without fracturing communities, without fracturing families, without fracturing countries. Yeah. You know, that's why I got into this line of work and anger for me, especially this year, this has been one emotion that I've become more intimate with. And, you know, I'm sure you've heard the tropes, angry black man, angry black woman. Mm-hmm. A lot of times. Yeah. And, and, you know, a lot of times I feel like anger has been used. It's been made to feel suppressed. <laughs> and, and a lot of times it doesn't allow us to, to, uh, to feel a lot of the emotions we need to feel. And a lot of times people have confused anger for a bad emotion. It's not even bad or good. It's, it's, you can use your anger whatever way you do. I describe myself as an angry optimist. I, I do what I do because I am angry and I'm optimistic because I, you know, I, I'm also angry that, uh, at some of the things. But how you decide to use your anger is, is, is essential. But also how we decide to label uh, people as anger and re- receive anger is also essential mm. in, in the sense mm. that some people... Mm-hmm can minimize another person's emotion because, oh, you, you know, <laughs> that, that was an anger and, and you missed the justifiable part of that. And I, I, I do think it's such an interesting emotion, especially when you, when you brought that up. But you're right. There are constructive ways to use it. But there are also ways that people might not be used to receiving anger because it's, uh, it's not how they were conditioned or, or brought up. And, uh, 100%. And, and to this is not analogous but but when we talk about or when you think about when people are in a double bind i know my experience have been being one of very few women in in a hyper testosterone filled which is not bad environment of of 5000 men as i experience what i know a lot of other women have experienced as well that if if you if i tried to be uh, articulate my frustrations, my anger, my whatever it may be, like a man did, then I could be categorized as over-emotional. Right. So then what did I do? Then I'm like, all right, screw it. Then I, you want me to be Midwest ice queen? Got it. I can do that. I'm not even going to be passive aggressive about it. I, I can be Vegas face. And then instantly you're pegged as she's detached. She doesn't care. And yep. you're like, well, what? Okay, what am I left with? Well, then you're like, what am I left with? If you, you asked my opinion, you know, I'm super mad about this, but now because I'm mad and I'm raising my eyebrows and I'm talking a little bit louder, whoa, 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 don't be all emotional female. Exactly. Okay, then I'm an ice queen. Oh, well, clearly you don't care. Well, what? So it's, you know, and this is again, this is where there is we're 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 we've become so entrenched in our biases. And right now, and the you know, the example that you're using, uh, which clearly is a personal one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's there's so much, and I use the phrase and and I apologize. I wish I could think of a better one right now off the top of my head, but I can't. Um, word garbage or emotional garbage to it, where whether it's angry black man or angry black woman, well, guess what? You just dumped gasoline on that fire because now you've dismissed every black person's experience Mm -hmm. and they have nowhere to go. And my, my frustration lies equally then 
when, and I've had conversations with some of my friends who, and executives who are in senior, senior positions in the military and in the C-suite who have said to me, yeah, but you don't understand. I don't see color or I don't see gender, which even right now, as I say it, I'm literally chin down and I'm rubbing my eyebrows (laughs) because I'm like, that's not helpful either because now you're dismissing not only all the good that somebody is bringing with them, but you're dismissing their life experience and, Mm -hmm. and you can't do that. But whether it's, what's another word that's become super, super polarizing privilege, 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 super polarizing, defunding, super polarizing, angry, super polarizing BLM, whether it's all caps or no caps, super polarizing. (laughs) So how do we find the language that de-escalates and moves us forward, that solves these issues without entrenching people in their camp that we're not going to find a path forward. Or dismissing them. That's the key uh, part, by the way. Yes. That, that, that's yes. the point. Because sometimes, like we've, we've just brought up many examples where the anger is justified. And because it's not been normalized or anything, it becomes, you know, people are quick to dismiss it. And then you add maybe privilege and power dynamics. And it's like, don't do this or don't do that. But your scenario where you're paying, you're paying that scenario, like, hey, don't be like this woman or don't be like that woman. You're not leaving that spectrum of humanity for people to be who they are because you haven't addressed your bias, which is if a man did that, that's a, that's a go-getter. But yeah. So there are many internal conversations is the act that we all need to have, but. Absolutely. And I think I'm, I'm actually glad we're touching on this right now because even from a leadership perspective, or how are you going to move your team, your community forward? Mm -hmm. We have to have a way to figure out, how we, how we have these conversations that de-escalates them, which does not mean it takes power away from them, yes. but that de-escalates so that we can actually hear each other yeah. instead of responding with, yeah, but. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's, and that's the, uh, you know, yeah, but instead of yes, man. And that's the thing. I think we need to move from being, too reactive to be more reflective, reactive to be more reflective. And it segues into the next question I have for you. You, you talk about leading teams through tough times. You, in your position, you have to make snap decisions. I mean, I, I think the, the aircraft you're using were worth some GDP, the GDPs of some countries. <laughs> and you, you're going back and forth, making all these quick decisions on, under tough circumstances. But now companies are in tough circumstances. The, the movie industry, for example, the restaurant industry, a lot of things are happening that even when vaccines or we move away from COVID world, the new normal is just going to look very different. What do you mm-hmm. have as a piece of advice, pieces of advice for? Well, that's, I mean, it's, it's a huge challenge, no doubt right now. And uh, so, so selfishly or specifically even to what I do right now for work, what, <clears throat> What has been very, very hard to watch for the last eight months, nine months, starting about March in the U.S., starting about March 12th through the 20th, it was disastrous for the events industry. So I did, up until about March 12th, for the last seven years or so, I've done about 100 
live in-person events a year for everywhere from 150 people to 25,000 people. Now, I share this for context only because whether it was for 150 people, 2,000, 4,000, 25,000, there is an entire industry and team behind the scenes that makes that happen from the production crews, the people who hang pipe and drape, the people who are running soundboards, putting up LED walls, uh, the services people, the you know food service, pouring tea, setting up tables, all of those people have gone from being employed to zero, mm. zero. And most of them have fallen into this gap of not being covered. A lot of independent contractors, as uh, after coming out of 2008, 2009, a lot of those large companies, production companies, events, con- you know, companies, destination management companies, all went to independent contractors instead of having people as employees. And uh, you know, independent contractors are not covered like employees are. So it's been it's devastated this whole side of the industry. So. You know, I think we all have to figure out when we're leading through uncertainty is how are we going to, how are we going to navigate forward? What does success look like? You know, asking eventually, eventually some of the chaos and some of the uncertainty that we're experiencing right now is going to settle down. Uh, you know, there are parts of our country right now that that we're locking down again. There are parts of the the of Europe right now, the UK that's in the middle of another lockdown. But what I try to share with people is that until we get over the hump of this, and this may be six months, it may be another year. It depends on how we all choose to behave and how we show up. Yes. Every minute that you spend anxious, paralyzed by your future is not a minute that's spent focusing on rebuilding, on creating a better present situation. So all of us have to figure out, and I would say quickly, again, what is under our span of control so that we can figure out how to recalibrate? How do we survive? How do we move through this? For the people who still have a job right now, burnout is a huge thing. And I'm not talking about just the, the frontline workers, right? The, the people who are, are just having to Zoom from home eight hours a day, nine hours a day while their kids are you know, sitting next to them, uh, trying to go to class. So just trying to manage burnout and, and from a leadership perspective, being more empathetic giving them, you know, your people's support, telling them you don't have the answers, but asking what sort of resources do they need? Just listen. You don't have to solve every problem, but you have to be able to listen. And, you know, some of that's going to be setting the example, just calling people up and saying, hey, I don't, <laughs> I don't have the answers for you right now, but I'm here to listen. What can I help you with? How can I support you? Yes. That's so beautiful, um, Carrie. There is a lot of listening that needs to happen. There's a lot of seeing each other, understanding each other, and showing up. (laughs) 
They mm-hmm. need to have them. And the interesting thing is, you know, this is this is you know, regardless of whatever generation anyone is, this is the this is a unique situation. This is you know since the Spanish flu, right? There are very few people that are alive since then, and this is this is probably even more magnified because of technology. And we are in a position where if we don't figure out how to work together, regardless mm-hmm. of where we're from, this could spread or lessen. Right, all the agendas <laughs> need to come to the table. All the uh, the, the the way we uh, interact with each other needs to come to the table, and we need to find some way to be humble, or some way to listen, <laughs> so mm-hmm. that we can really get this uh, thing in a way that it's contained for everyone to get back to a position where opportunity is, you know, served for multiple people. Um, yeah, I agree. You know, and it's fascinating. I I always think about different different legs of the stool, if you will. That okay, all of this, all of this is happening. You know, how do we move forward? And once we do get again, hopefully to the other side, how do we better prepare ourselves so that when this happens again, we're better suited yeah. for <laughs> for getting through it quickly. Yeah. And I'll tell you what. I, I feel like there have got to be history teachers across the world right now, just sh- like scratching their head in frustration <laughs> because it's seriously, because if it's one thing reading history and understanding history and will give you is I think it's, I think it can be very grounding and I think it gives you perspective. And when you realize that there is not a challenge that has befallen any community or civilization across the globe that didn't at some point take a community effort, uh, if you don't if you don't understand that history, then you're going to think that you're going to be okay to rage against the machine and do it on your own. And it doesn't matter. I'm just going to do it because this is my right. And having I'm all about individual freedoms. And, uh, and independence, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, I think that we also have to be understand that we are citizens of not only our homes, but our, our communities and we're global citizens. Yeah. And that means we need to be our brother's keeper. We have mm-hmm. to look out for each other. Those who don't remember the past are condemned to repeat it. History repeats itself. Amen. Amen. So, um, and I, uh, yeah, so I just, again, I think, I think the history part and the perspective part, when you realize that there are people who've been through profoundly challenging times, um, you know, just take a breath. Don't be afraid to ask for help. And, and we're going to figure this out. Yes, we will. Yes, we will. So you've got, I mean, you talked about the things in your book here already, but I want to give you a chance to tell people where they can find your book is, and I believe you have another one coming up soon based on what you said. I yeah. do. So yeah. So my first book uh, is Fearless Leadership, High Performance Lessons from the Flight Deck. And you can certainly order it from any independent bookstore. Uh, it's on Amazon. Look for the second edition of it. Um, and my next book is going to be coming out hopefully in April, possibly May, but it is going to be titled 
span of control. So yeah, the first book is it's uh, hopefully if people get it, they'll find it. It's, it's entertaining. It's not just a military bio. Uh, it's, it's a leadership book for everyone. It's a little bit funny, a little bit sassy. I wrote it myself. So there are no nine syllable words. And you can start it uh, almost, I mean, I'd recommend starting at the beginning, but you can, you can pick it up and put it down. It's not, it's not going to be your brain on a cheese grater. It's a pretty easy read. So, uh, it's yeah. And you can find me on any of the social channels, Instagram, Facebook. I'm there a little bit less, uh, Twitter and definitely LinkedIn as well. And my website. I'll make sure to put all this in the show notes because I mean, if it's anything, like this podcast, it's bound to be life-changing. So I, I Oh gosh. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah, you've had quite the experience professionally, but your ability to distill that into actionable steps, I, th- I think is, is is the other gift that you have. So um, thank you for that. And the last question I had I have for you is my mission statement reframed as a question. And I ask my guests this question all the time. So how do you use your difference to make a difference? Never play small. Okay. Play small. That is that is that is such a succinct and poignant answer. Wow. I love that. Thank you so much. Wow. Yeah. Well, and it goes, hey, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, right? The the be competent. Be confident doesn't mean you get to be a jack wagon. Yes. But if you're playing small you are serving nobody. Nobody else is getting the benefit of the hot glass that you've walked over if you're playing small. That's right. That's right. Wow. Wow. Well, Carrie, I got to thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for giving me your time. And I'm sure the audience is going to be more than grateful for this. Oh, gosh. It's been a a pleasure and a privilege. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Glad to be here. Pleasure's mine. Until next time, ladies, gentlemen, and gender non-binary individuals, use your difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com planning for your next trip Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.